last uh, the last several weeks, we've been you know discussing the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is right one, but three persons, one essence, and we and we looked at it looked at many scriptures in the Old Testament from the very beginning in Genesis 1, he lets us know that God is a plurality. The Godhead is a plurality. The very first name in the beginning, God, is plural for God. You know, if you recall, and you could look you could look back on it, you know, thank the Lord that we have technology on Sermon Audio. But there is a word, sometimes used for God, that would denote in the singular. But the overwhelming use of the word in the Old Testament when speaking the name God is plural. <clears throat> we also looked at, for instance, many times he lets us know that because it's Genesis 1, 26, Remember, let us make man in our image. So is he speaking to? You have these so-called scholars and skeptics and people that try to confuse us and trip us up and everything, right? And they'll say, well, he was speaking to the heavenly court. Well, no, he wasn't. Remember, because you got to remember, they, they try to get you to focus on maybe just let us, but let us make equals... And it denotes the wording there is equals. And let us make, let us create in our image. So, you know, God created us in his image. God's creatures, other created beings, do not create people, right? Just God does. But then we saw that also in, in Genesis 3, Right in Genesis 11, where where he talks about right, let us go down and confuse our language. So the Lord went down. We looked in Genesis 19, where it said the Lord rained fire and brimstone down upon Sodom from the Lord in heaven. And we looked at places in Isaiah and in and in Deuteronomy, especially the one that it says, you know, the Lord is one. Right, our God is one. And you see, even the wording there, he lets us know it's plural because one, he uses the word plural, and the word used for one there means unity, not the number one. It means unity. So we looked at that, and just to go over that, if you took that, if you, if you looked through all those passages and you looked in Malachi and we looked at Habakkuk, that God gives us many glimpses that it's plurality. Remember, we always talk about that, but Christ concealed. The Old Testament that's concealed, and it becomes progressively more and more revealed because the main whole point of it in our faith is that Jesus is God. The Christ is God, the Son of God, God in the flesh, right? And this is revealed through the Old Testament, but then fully revealed in the New Testament. First of all, it lets us know the Trinity is now down to three. Right, and we looked at the, you know, the the Trinitarian baptismal formula in the name of the God, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Right, each denotes a specific person, a specific being. 
right? Of course, one essence. We need to keep that in mind. But after we looked at that and we started to look at last week and the week before in the foundation of our faith, and that is, and according to John made it abundantly clear, many others too, Paul, Paul we find it throughout Scripture, but especially the Apostle John makes it abundantly clear, right, that Jesus is the Son of God. And believing, believing in him, in his person, right, in his, you know, death for our sins and his resurrection, right, you are saved because he is life. Because he is life. And we just saw that. If you if you recall, we went through, I just want to go, go through back to remind when we looked at the gospel and remember we looked at the gospel of John and 1st John because John wrote 1st John just shortly after writing the gospel of John and when we realize that and we compare those two it even becomes more abundantly clear that he's saying when he uses certain verbiage Right? We see that throughout, that Jesus is the Word, right? The Word is with God, the Word was God. And he goes on saying that Jesus is the Son of God. Then he said Jesus is the Word, which is God, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then he makes it abundantly clear that that Word, that the Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us, is called the Son of God. And then we start looking at all the people that confirm that testimony throughout the Gospel of John. And for our memories, John the Apostle did it right in the opening. John the Baptist, Nathaniel, Peter, when he was with the Twelve, then to John chapter 6, he speaking for him, for he speaking for all the original Twelve disciples, said, we have come to know and believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. So Peter, Jesus himself, the healed blind man who also worshipped him. And Jesus accepted worship of him. Another clear, clear sign, right, that he is fully God. Along that, uh, then, then we moved on to Martha, who declared him to be the son of God. And of course, finish up Thomas after he finally had to see him to believe, said, my Lord and my God. So even though we can't fully you know, comprehend, and that's where it is, if, I, I've seen this thing of this Trinity and, and the divinity of Christ, and you know, how does the Son exist, and the Holy Ghost exist, and the, and the Father exists, and they're, they're one, yet distinct. I can't tell you. R.C. Sproul, I watch a great thing like him, a man greatly gifted and blessed, right? And I saw of him a sermon that, a teaching that he gave just maybe a year or two before his death. And it was on the Trinity. And he was just saying, no, nope, beyond what the Bible says, you just don't know. There's been many, many, many errors. Because all errors, it's not just necessarily saying it's an error concerning the Trinity. Error is concerning the divinity of Christ because it's, it's linked. It's inextricably linked. Jesus, the full, you know, 
divinity of Christ, the God-man, that he literally is, right, the God-man, God come in the flesh, right? I mean, his very name, God with us, right? So we looked at that, but I see all of that and bring it there. Does anyone have any questions or any comments concerning what we talked about last week or, or what I just said right now? All right, where I'd like us to turn, and, you know, we'll see if we get through this, because I want to look, if there's, you know, any more confusion, I really like where the Bible takes great pains to show us, right, just like First John was all about, and the Gospel of John was all about, that we can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Word made flesh, right, and that he, he did. God himself, right, paid the penalty for us, the God-man, right? And we can believe in him and trust in him, and in him we have life, for he is life. Amen? But he goes through great pains on that because that was his whole testimony. We won't go there now, but if you go to Revelation, it's really interesting. Insert it right there between 1 and 3. He, he reaffirms that he gave his testimony after... God the Father gave the revelation he was to give to Jesus. Jesus assigned an angel. An angel came to John to John the Revelator, as he's called, right? But how did he identify himself? The one who gave testimony of Jesus. And testimony of what? The testimony, particularly throughout the Gospel of John and throughout 1 John. The whole point of 1 John, and he ends it up there, that you can, at the end of the Gospel of John, the end of First John, you can believe on the name of the Son of God, and in him you have life. And if, if you have the Son, you have life. If you have not the Son, you have not life. And the, the, the witness, the threefold witness, we talked about all of that. But I want us to look at one other place that just confirms it down because, you know, some the various false teachings out there is even now that Jesus was... Well, he's God, but kind of like with a little g, or Lord, but with a little l. Or, you know, he's not quite fully God. They put it in different ways. Well, he somehow emanated from God. You know, God the Father was first. He heard all these things. Back in these times, Hebrews, the first thing he addresses in chapter 1, well, he thought he was created. They were trying to teach, uh, like, you know, like he was uh, possibly an angel. Like, but the highest, the the archangel of archangels. And you'll see you will see that in Hebrews. If you turn to Hebrews, please. And we'll just start reading there that this is really important. Just Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners, right, at different times and in various ways, right, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets has in these last days, right, which started with, you know, the coming of his son, <laughs> the resurrection of his son, right, whom he has appointed here of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. You know, and going back to that, right, we know who made the world. Well, the word. <laughs> so, by whom? By his son. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, Right? I mean, expressly. I won't, I won't get into all that, right? but in image, I mean, he is God. And, and upholding all things by the word of his power, 
And only God does that, right? Well, this is the Son. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. You see how sometimes when we read this stuff, we can sometimes get confusing. How exactly is it that he's God? I just got to share a little story. When I first, when, when the Lord first comes to me and he's drawing me, and that man prayed for me that the Lord revealed himself to me and handed me a Bible. And I was reading, and I'd get together with him about once a week, and I'd ask him, Ray, obviously his name, right? I don't quite understand this. It seems to be saying here that Jesus is God, but then he's praying to God? I, I don't get this. I don't understand this. He'd write down some verses and hand them to me, and, you know, we'd go on to visit. Because I think he knew enough by then. <laughs> he wasn't going to, you know, I mean, I was really inquisitive. Well, when it came down to it, that was why I said that, you know, reading many passages of Scripture. And, you know, the Lord's already working on me, and as I'm reading, you know, I'm just uh, repenting a lot of things, letting a lot of things go. But it just, it bugged me. It bugged me. I just couldn't quite get it. What, 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 is, what is this about Jesus? I don't quite get it. It's, I even, like, instinctively knew, okay, there's a difference there's a, there's a difference, but a sameness. He's clearly saying that he's Lord, and he has all his power, but at the same time he's saying, so does God? What? Anyway, it was many verses, but I remember the night. And that's why I said that one that we read in John 20, 28 is so significant to me. When Thomas, when he appeared before Thomas, and because Thomas finally saw him resurrected and alive, after his death, that he, again, gave that great testimony, my Lord and my God, which is also you know, a sign of worship, and we see that for that. But that, and a lot, a lot of other things, but that one in particular is the one that I remember distinctly in my mind, and I got it. Jesus is God. And to this day, I still remember that. And can I tell you to this day and say that I got the Trinity figured out? Because time and again, sometimes I try to figure it out. Other people have too, and you just can't. You know, you just can't explain it. But the fact is, he is God. The Father is God. The Holy Ghost is God. But I just want to say that to understand he is. Okay, verse 4. Being made so much better than the angels. So he's, and he, he wasn't, you know, made. He's talking with Jesus. We got to understand the, the God man here. But, okay, he's so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Then he starts off. In 5, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Okay. Right there, that. Let me look here. Where do I got that? He was 1 6. Okay. Uh, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Forgot to look that one up because he says that, but. Go on to verse uh, 6. I begot, and again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be me a son. But verse 6. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, and first begotten denotes, you know, a place of authority, right? Not that he was born, right? We know that from all the other passages we read. He's always been, right? He, you know, he created. He created everything. You know, he's eternal, when he bringeth in the first begotten of the world, he saith, and all the angels of God worship him. 
right? Worship is ascribed to who? And who alone, right? God. But we're going to get into that. We're going to look because that is one place in our Bible that we could go to you can't find a cross-reference for. And I'll explain that one after we quickly look at these other ones. Verse 8. Well, seven, and of the angels he saith, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. So he says that, that's, that's what the angels are. That's who they are. But verse 8, but under the sun he saith. Now, this is God, and we understand from the Trinity, right? It's God the Father speaking. But under the sun he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Okay. Turn to Psalm 45. We're going to see that these are all, right, he saith. Another thing to know that we know that the author of Scripture is God himself, right? Because God, right, he's telling us, the author of Hebrews here, that he, God, saith, right? So they wrote what God said to them to write. Amen. But when we turn to Psalm 45, Psalm 45, starting in verse 6. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with oil of gladness above thy fellows. Sound familiar? Right? Basically, directly quoting what we just read there in 8, and I didn't read it, verse 9, right? Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with oil of gladness above thy fellows. Amen? Well, go on. He goes right on. Hebrews 10. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth the garment. And as the vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. That's quoting Psalms 102. And again, right, again, he saith, you know, God's author of scripture, right? But just think that Jesus is, that he is God, the Son, right? is clearly revealed in the New Testament. And it's and and what what does God himself and the authors of the New Testament use to confirm their teachings to us? What's written in the Old Testament? It just made clear. It just made clear. But in Psalms 102 20 starting in 25 of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. Right? Directly quoting. Yeah, it's not word for word, right? But it is definitely is quoting Psalm 102 there, 25 through 27. And just right along with that, drop down the very next verse. But... To which of the angels? Now, the point he's making in that is that the Son, the unique Son, is not created, is not an angel, right? He's worthy of worship, right? He is to be worshipped, and that he made the world, and he's a brightness of the glory of God. 
Okay. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make that enemy as thy footstool? Do we recognize that from the Old Testament? Very familiar. Go to Psalms 110. Psalms 110, verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, right? An another one of those places where we see like, well, there's obviously a plurality here. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make the enemies thy footstool. So every one of those verses we just looked at is confirming who's he talking about. He's obviously talking about God the Son, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And then 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth and minister for them who should be heirs of salvation? Right? He's just saying, right, Jesus is not an angel. Jesus is not a created being. Right? Jesus is Lord and God, as Thomas declared, you know, at near the end of the Gospel of John. But, uh, with that, I said, I was going to go back into Hebrews 1, verse 6. Because what's interesting there, Hebrews 1, 6, uh, that is, it's surprising because depending on what, what uh, most of the version of the Bible you have, if they have anything, uh, they just give you a reference to some place where you'll, find that says something like, well, you know, and people worship him or don't worship idols or, you know, scratch the head. Why is it that we're able to go and see direct quotes on all the rest of those? But this is obviously quoted. And I'll repeat again in verse 6, right? When he said in verse 5, to which of the angels said he, right, God, God the Father, said he at any time, with verse 6, and again, when he bringeth in the first begotten of the world, he saith, God the Father, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And we cannot find that. I, I, I can't find it. I can't find a reference to that. That doesn't mean it don't exist. Without trying to get comp too complicated, there's two texts of Scripture of the Old Testament scriptures. One's called the Masoretic Text. And that was starting to be written by Jews. They started in 300 AD. And they finally finished it around, to the best of my calculations, uh, around 900 AD or so. Okay? And there's also the Septuagint. Now that was the Old Testament scriptures translate it into the Greek language, right, by 72 men that had, that they had copies of the scriptures and in different groups and in various different books and that they, they all translate the scriptures. For whatever reason, I won't get into it in that, they decided it in a few places, it's surprising when you read it up, and Almost all translations, and including the King James, what they decided to do was for the vast majority is use a Masoretic text for the Old Testament scriptures. They use a Septuagint to 
not that often, but just where they deemed, well, we needed to use it. Why here they didn't, I don't know. I, I really don't, that, that's, that's a whole study and a discussion for another time. But let us go, because I'll tell you where, where that actually is. And turn to, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. And I'll just say this. First, I want to read it as it'll say in, I can't remember, you know, in, in your scriptures right there that we possess right now here in your Bible. Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. And this is what it says. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. And then he goes on in 44, And Moses came and spake all the words of this song in the ears of the people, he and Hosea, the son of Nun. Okay. All right. The reason I say that is if you go to the Septuagint, and you go to Deuteronomy chapter 32, and in verse 43, you'll find that 42, just as in here, is the same. 44 is the same, except it clearly says in 44, Joshua, the son of Nun. But here's what it says in 43. They partially got it in the Masoretic, but here's, see if you notice a difference here. Be glad, O heavens, together with him, right, with, with God. The God, and if you read this in context, right here, and we'll see that, I want to read this first, we'll read it in context, right, he's obviously talking about God, the one who is coming to pour out his wrath and his vengeance upon his enemies. Be glad, O heavens, together with him, and do obeisance to him, all angels of God. Right? Been back Hebrews 1.6. And all the angels of God worship him. Do obeisance to him, all angels of God. The only reference. Yeah, it's not word for word, but that is what it says, right? Let all angels of God worship him. Do obeisance, worship him, all ye angels of God. Okay, he goes on. Be glad, O nation, nations, with his people, and grow and strengthen him, all. O sons of God, a distinction there. For the blood of his sons he shall avenge and recompense punishment to the enemies, and to the ones detesting him he will recompense, and the Lord shall clear out the land for his people. I'd say the Masoretic left out an awful lot, because Masoretic, all they have there, rejoice, O ye nations, with his people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. And it basically, we see that uh, they got a small portion, about 15% of that verse. The way, it actually, the way it actually reads. And what's really interesting about that is we'll go up, what he's talking about is what's so amazing when you read this in Deuteronomy 32 we talk about that. That's also very prophetic. 
because right after he got this, go on because after he said that, and I said in verse 44, right, and Moses came, he spake all, the, all these words, right? And in verse 45, and Moses made an end of speaking all these words to all Israel. And he said unto them, Set your hearts on all the words that are to testify among you this day, which ye shall command your children to observe to do all the words of this law. You go through Deuteronomy leading up to that, it's so prophetic. He's talking about, right? The people are going to leave God. You read through all, especially chapter 32. The, the people are, you know, they, they've grown fat. You know, they, they've rejected their God. And now the God, God in the end is going to take vengeance. What's so interesting, listen to some of this and see if, see if you recognize a lot of this type of language. Go up. To verse 39 of Deuteronomy 32. And you'll see there, there's a point I'm, I'm getting at this because what's, what's so amazing here is it just proves, right, that, right, that he, right, in Hebrews 1 6, right, making the point in all those places in Hebrews, it's testifying there that Jesus is God the Son, that he is fully God, right? The Lord said unto my Lord. And, but remember, he attribute and let all angels of God worship him, right? And do obeisance unto him, all ye, all ye angels, right? Verse 39, see now that I, right, God, even I am he. And there is no God with me. I kill, and I make alive. I wound, and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. If I wet my glittering sword... And my hand take hold on judgment. I will render vengeance to my enemies and will reward them that hate me. Verse 42. I will make mine arrows drunk with blood. Hmm, drunk with blood. And my sword shall devour flesh. And that with the blood of the slain and of the captives from the beginning of revenges, revenges upon the enemy. And then it goes into, you know, verse 43 which, as I said in the Septuagint, reads, Be glad, O heavens, together with him, and do obeisance to him, all angels of God. To who? The one who is carrying out this judgment. When we read in Revelation, in the very end times, this happened, this happened over a period of time. One, yes, you know, they were scattered. But what are we told will happen on the very last days, right? He'll gather them all together. And then when he returns... Right? He's going to bring all together, but he is going to take vengeance on all his enemies, and he will pour out judgment upon them. And then we read in there, right? Gather in Revelation, gather all together and eat the flesh. It's so amazing in that when he's talking there, but, and then he directly says in, in Hebrews there that this one, Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, right, is this very one they're talking about here in Deuteronomy 32. And I, you know, to me, when you just couple that with everything else, when people try to come to you, or, or, or we're reading along, and you read someplace, and someone tries to take something out of Scripture, like, if you ever heard this, but believe me, it's, it's out there all over the place. Well, Jesus never said he was God. Well, yes, he did. He said it so many times. When he said in John 8, 24, if you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. You literally read that and read great. If you don't believe that I am, how about when he said, I am the door? 
I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life, right? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And then John just testifying along with him, right? We verify that this word which was with God and is God came in the flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, right? As only begotten, but but sent, right? The, the, the first one, you know, it, it, it's just so, so literally amazing. But what we sometimes have to be careful of, if we don't have a thorough understanding of Scripture, people will take us, and the enemy will even, our, the enemy of our souls will even take us and try to confuse us, and we'll try to figure out maybe some, some passage that may seem confusing, but we're not bringing all of Scripture to bear on it and other areas of Scripture to bear on it, which then makes it so clear on what it is, right? And clears up any confusion, which would... What? Mike? Did, yeah. Yeah, and, and remember Jesus himself, he declared himself to be the Son of God, and we know that from the very opening of John's Gospel, when you're declared to be a Son of God, you're declaring yourself equal with God, you're declaring yourself to be God. So he did. So, and then, if you know, we just, the, the more firmly we get a hold of that, that, that's why John says we're so, we're absolutely secure in him, because we have believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We believe that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and died for our sins and rose again from the dead. And we believe he's returning one day, amen? <laughs> but does anyone have any questions or comments? Yeah, and you know, and and I just say, might you know, it's it'd be one thing, right? When when we say, well, yes, of course, you know, Jesus is Lord, and Jesus died for our sins, but for us to fully understand, Jesus is fully God. He is also Jesus Christ, fully man. Comp don't try to comprehend that fully in that, you know, you'll end up, you know, sucking your thumb in Greek and quoting the Greek alphabet, amen. I've heard Mike say that, but it's true, right? Because God's God's infinite, we're finite. It's understanding. But if there being any confusion, there's just there's one other thing. You know, a lot of times we we talk about this a lot, and it is, and God used Paul mightily. And God wrote and Paul wrote was used to write you know, a large amount of the New Testament. Guess who's the second most prolific author of the New Testament is? And he's actually, if you compare number of words and number of chapters, not that far off. John. We forget John wrote the gospel. 
John wrote 1 John, John wrote 2 John, 3 John, and John wrote the book of Revelation. No other person besides Peter even comes close, actually, besides Paul. But what was amazing, and they believed he was the last one left, so he gives us this great revelation. Remember, John's revelation, the unique thing he was pointing out. We see uniqueness among the testimonies and that they're giving in their Gospels. But John's uniqueness was that Jesus, this is the Christ, the Son, the living God. The Son concealed and revealed throughout in many places of Scripture. Right? And now he has come. Life himself has come. And you believe in him, right? You have life. For he is life, right? In him was the light, and that light was the life of men, right? He is life. And it's so amazing there. But I say that, think he wrote Revelation. If you turn to Revelation, and we're going to finish with this, and let's wrap it up. But it's so interesting because when I was a, when I was a newer Christian, and even I like to say, you know, I got over this right away, but all people don't. Revelation can be such a scary book where you just go into it and you just want to find out everything you can about uh, the end times. Well, you can, and it talks about that. But that's not the main point for Revelation. And I'm not going to go into this a lot of it because, you know, Mike's been going through Revelation did a good job of this. But I want us to remember something about John. Remember, his unique testimony. And... Once again, the very last book in the Bible, our Lord blesses John and blesses all of us with giving her the last and even fullest representation. I, I just wrote down here, and if there be any confusion or wondering whatsoever, let's look at the last words, the last things that the Lord revealed to us. Right? And that is in Revelation. Because... And I want to spend a lot of time, you know, just uh, look back on, on Mike. He's been doing such a great job with Revelation. And, you know, now we're just at uh, having, you know, prayer uh, on Wednesday nights. But you notice that it's the, from the very opening, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not the revelation of the end times. Not the revelation of, okay, by reading this and you'll find these certain passages, you'll probably determine when it's going to come. That's, you know, there's so much to it, and there's, there's a lot in there about that. But what I want to point out on that is, just verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's the revelation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which God gave unto, unto him, unto his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to show unto his servants things which must, short, must shortly come to pass. And I won't get all, Mike, you know, did such a great job there. But it's signified to it by his angel, so, you know, God the Father gives it to, you know, God the Son, God the Son, you know, dispatches an angel to give it unto his servant John. And who is this John? Verse 2. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Now, now some will say he's, he's just talking about there that he's given testimony you know, about what's about to come forward. And that's not true. That, that comes later, about that he'll give testimony to everything that he's going to be revealed here. He's talking about what, what has he done. He's given testimony for 50-odd years 
that Jesus is the Son of God, that believe in you have life in his name, of his divinity, of his, of his priestly office, of his prophetic office, you know, his sonship, his divinity, right? That he rose from the dead, assuring every all of us, even shortly before he wrote Revelation, he wrote 1 John, and shortly before that he wrote the Gospel of John, right? He was revealing to him, because go on to, to verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And what was that testimony? That's why I love it. I get in the argument people who think 1 John 5, 7 shouldn't be there, but that was part of the great testimony, a big part of it. The heavenly witness. All the witnesses we saw in the Gospel of John. You know, all witnesses, him bearing record, right? Bearing record of his, you know, where, you know, he appeared before them on the mount. You know, that he saw them after rising from the dead. The, the prophetic witness of God the Father speaking from heaven at his baptism. And God the Father speaking at the transfiguration. You know, of the Holy, Holy Ghost verifying as the Son of God because he lit down and came upon Jesus as a dove. Right? We see all that great testimony. But he spent his life of over 50 years testifying to who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. Amen. But what he is saying is this. Verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Well, who, right? Jesus Christ. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. And, speaking of Jesus Christ, verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Pretty plain there, isn't it? Pretty plain there, saying of Jesus Christ, this is a testimony, this is a revelation to Jesus Christ, that he is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, the one who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. But... Go on from there, and I I just want us to go to chapter 4 and verse, we'll start in verse 8. And the four beasts had each of them, right, John has been given a, a, a revelation, you know, of uh, being there, you know, in the in, in the throne room, you know, right right before God. And the four beasts had each of them six wings, six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, "Holy, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty," which was, and is, and is to come. Same same thing as we just read, right? That was an identifier. Christ used of himself. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne and liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And we need to remember in Ephesians on that, right, and from John too, right? Who did God the Father, you know, who, by whom... Did God the Father create the worlds? 
the Son. That's what he's talking, talking about here. And then just go on to uh, verse 12 of chapter 5. Again, this is having just the, the, the praise and the chorus. The point I'm getting at is the revelation of Jesus Christ. A lot of times we read Revelation and we're looking so much for uh, maybe a better understanding or, you know, people try to, you know, use uh, figurative language and they say, okay, I want to figure everything out about this. And that's fine to an extent. But the first thing, the blessing, the great blessing that really comes upon this, we get a revelation of Jesus Christ, who he is. The fullest revelation in all of scripture of who he is. Verse 12 of chapter 5. Right? And these, well, verse 11. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. In other words, 10 million times 10 million and millions upon millions. Millions. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb. Who, who alone is worthy to receive glory, praise, and honor? Right? God. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature was in the heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying... Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Anyone know the Granville Sharp's rule of grammar? <laughs> but anyway, what it's saying there, you can just read, right? He's speaking up, right? That, in a way we don't understand it. This, our God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God here. They're singing this. Unto our Lord Jesus Christ. Singing this unto God. And the, 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 the Godhead. It, it is so utterly amazing that Jesus is God. And it's something that is so revealed to us in Scripture. And he gives just a it's it's like even the New Testament. It it seems if we date the letters, we just see a, even a fuller and fuller revelation of it coming out in the New Testament. But finally, in the last thing he wrote, the revelation was that full revelation. You know, and, and as John said, we can rest in assured. We can believe in the name of the Son of God. We can believe in the name of Jesus Christ and know that we have life in his name. Our sins are forgiven, and we are assured. He is with us forever. Any, anybody got any questions? Okay. Well, let us close with a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you for your great salvation. We thank you, Father, for sending the Son to be a Savior, the Savior of all your people, all who will believe. Father, we thank you for your word, which even according to your great power and purpose, renews our mind and transforms us more and more into the image of your Son, which we know it does, and you declare it to be so. And Father, we just now give you all blessing, praise, blessing, glory, and honor. For you are worthy. We ask your blessing upon the upcoming service. May you be exalted and your name lifted high and be glorified today in your people. In Jesus' name, amen.